Elder Wright Sarah has consented to take you through those five initiatives. I think they're fantastic. Our field has loved them. And uh, so as soon as they get him mic'd up, he's going to take you through those five initiatives. Uh, I think they're, they're just... Uh, I'm t- what we're telling you is a real paradigm shift. I, you know, there's been lots of people going to places like Saddleback and Willow Creek and all of those kinds of things to try to find a vision for the Seventh-day Adventist Church when the Seventh-day Adventist Church has already got a vision laid out for it, both in what Christ said and, uh, and, and what the Spirit of Prophecy says, what Christ says through the testimony uh, to the church. So we have a vision. In fact, I was telling a group the other day, I was telling my staff, I said, you know, what I want to do is I want to do everything the Lord told us to do. I want to do everything the Lord told us to do. That's what I want to be about. That's the business that we need to be about. All right, some of us uh, still coming in here, and um, we are going to have a prayer here, and then we're going to get started. All right, let's bow our heads. Our Heavenly Father, we felt your presence here again this morning. We need your help and wisdom, and we know that you'll give that to us. And as we share today and talk, we pray that it will only build and strengthen your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, while Elder Sarah is coming up, I mentioned uh, uh, the Willow Creek thing. How many of you have heard that Willow Creek just recently came out and said everything we were doing didn't work? Uh, some of you have heard that. It's an amazing thing. I have to give them credit for their integrity. At least they had the, the honesty to do it. But here we have spent, we have spent I don't know how much money sending ministers in there. And uh, it, it's just a very, very unfortunate uh, kind of a thing. Uh, not that we can't learn from other places. Elder Ratzar made that clear. I believe you can learn from other places. But as he put it so nicely, you need to make sure that's tested by the spirit of prophecy and by scripture. Uh, and then, uh, then you can feel safe to apply, apply uh, methodologies and so forth. But what's happened is that lots of people have just taken that carte blanche and brought it over. And it's caused real problems in our churches because people... Um, let me give you an example, for instance. We believe in Revelation 14, the three angels' message is our mission. Am I right about that? That's real clear. Um, and then if you have a world, if you have that commission, then you have to have a world organization to carry that out. Am I right? So your mission drives your church. Your theology drives your mission. Your mission drives your church organization. Uh, and, and these big megachurches are all congregational. Seventh-day Adventists cannot carry out its mission in a congregational form of church government. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't study church government and tweak it and, and that kind of thing at times. But you've got to have a world church government. Uh, I, was at a, um, I was at a meeting uh, some years ago. Actually, it was a general conference session where a scholar, if I mention the person's name, he is... I mean, he's well-known, written lots of books, but he basically stood up and, and made fun of the organization of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. He said, well, it's got too many layers. Uh, you know, it's got more layers than uh, the United States and so forth. And I thought, uh, you know, dear brother, bless your sweetheart, uh, you, you need to uh, step back and look at this just a little bit differently. Uh, let me talk about the, the United States of America. Do you know why this is a strong democracy? Because democracy is at all levels. You have democracy at, at uh, county, city, county, state, 
and federal. That's four divisions. That's exactly what you've got with the General Conference. But the General Conference isn't bound to one nation. It's encompassing the world. You have two choices for a worldwide church government. A papal system, which we reject as unbiblical, or a representative form of church government. So uh, a lot of people that uh, today, I believe, that do not any longer believe in the vision. So what they do is attack our form of church government. If you can collapse our form of church government, then you will automatically collapse our vision, and then you've undone our theology. So there's more than one way to fight this thing, and, and so that's what people... Because they know if they're not going to stand up and attack us on Revelation 14, they're not going to get too far. They know that. But they can go after church government and, and collapse it. So anyway, I'm just simply saying that we have a vision that God has given us, and that vision demands that we do put stuff into place to carry out that vision. So anyway, I thank God for this church. I believe it's got a divine organization. doesn't mean it can't be tweaked, and we shouldn't always study to do it better. And we ought to look at resources and how we spend resources. But we want to thank God for the, the organization that we have. All right, I want to I go back to, uh, to Elder Ratsara. Uh, I think you're free now. Why don't you come and talk about those five initiatives, and then we're going to move into, I think, a very, very important thing for Christian leadership. We're going to talk about... Character and integrity. <clears throat> Thank you very much. We, this is the five initiatives that we are talking about. Uh, this is the booklet, Lift Up Christ, Tell the World is the uh, initiative of the General Conference. And uh, uh, we, we call it uh, in our division, Tell the World, the five SID, meaning Sovereign, Africa Indian Motion uh, Division, um, five initiatives. Um, this is, we, we got this through prayer and consultation, studying the Word of God, applying the method that we, uh, we have talked about. This is the product of it, this, this booklet here, the product of the, the process that we have followed from God then consultation, studying the word of God and the spirit of prophecy. Um, this, is, this is it. So I want just to summarize uh, what is written here. We used um, names, biblical characters. For example, uh, the first initiative is we call it Epaphras ministry. Who is Epaphras? It is in the Bible, Epaphras ministry. Let me just uh, ask you to read the text. Uh, that is the best way to summarize it. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. And I read, Epaphras, that is the name. Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. So that is the idea. The first is Epaphras ministry, meaning wrestling, prayer, agonizing. Well, there is a, a sermon 
that I used to preach. Organize, agonize, and organize. Uh, Jesus agonized. Then he organized the church. Uh, many times we just organized, but we don't agonize. The Epaphras ministry is about agonizing. I'll talk a bit more about that tomorrow. Agonizing. Prayer. Uh, you have noticed that I really insist on prayer. Yes? Verse 12. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. So, the first initiative, which is the foundation, is prayer. And we talked a lot about that yesterday. I don't want to expand too much on that. But one thing I want to, to say, we need to intensify our prayer life. As individual and as a group. We don't pray enough. And uh, that is not my idea. It is in the book, Steps to Christ. Even the angels are surprised. They said, what is going on here? These people are not praying enough. We, we are angels. We are strong, but we are worshipping God. But these people, those weak individuals, they don't pray enough. We need to pray more. Okay, uh, it is said that if we want to conquer, as Jesus conquered, we need to pray as he prayed. Second initiative, we call it um, Paul's method. Paul's method. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 2, what is that? I read... And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. By the way, this can be applied even in local church. And um, this is, it is meant also to be applied in a local church. So if you are a youth leader, you can do Epaphras. Epaphras ministry. Start with yourself and then start with a small group and pray. And the young people, teach them how to pray. Lead them into a deep relationship with God. So that is Epaphras ministry. And then train them. That is because Paul's method is training. said, the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Someone has said, if we think education is expensive, try ignorance. If you think education is expensive, try ignorance. Train. Sister White said, educate, educate, educate. Train. You see, training was already leading. That is a way. Um, I'm telling those who are very busy that you probably it's very hard for you to touch uh, people, individuals' life individually. But one thing you can do, two things you can do. You can pray for them and you can train them. Train them as a group. That is already leading. Because to train them, you are present. 
and you are influencing their minds and their actions. And that is leadership. So training Paul's method in our division, this is a big thing. We really train. We push very hard. Training, training, train the church members, train the uh, denominational employees, the administrators. We have meetings every year for for the conference presidents and the union presidents. Just training, uh, training, very important. So in your church setting, don't ever underestimate training. Plan for this. Do it well. And make it biblical according to the spirit of prophecy and practical. Be very practical. And the third one, we call it Zechariah Project. You see, started with Epaphras ministry, Paul's method, and Zechariah Project. What is this? This is what we call evangelism explosion. You know, we talk about church growth. Time is not enough to expand on that one. But the Bible really talks about evangelism explosion. When you, you start with 120 members, and then the following day you baptize 3,000, what is the percentage of that? You mathematicians, 25 times. Yes, 120 times 25, what is it? 3,000. 25 times. And uh, it is possible to do that by His grace. In Zechariah chapter 8, verse 22 to 23, and many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty. In those days, ten men from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, Let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. One will win ten. By the ten is the minimum uh, in the Hebrew um, setting that is explosion meaning evangelize when you lead a department of a church don't, uh, don't just uh, uh, try to focus on many things and forget evangelism our mission is to evangelize any department of the church must be evangelistic oriented if you want your department to work well, lead it into evangelism. There is something in winning souls. And that's why the Lord has asked us to do this, even if he had all the angels to do it. He said, no, I would like the angel to help, but human beings must do this. Because we need it. We need it. So as youth leader, as personal ministry director or Sabbath school, let it be evangelistic oriented. Evangelize, evangelize, and believe. The fourth one, we are really going fast. <laughs> it is, we call it Operation Ezekiah. 
Ezekiah, you see, from bankruptcy to abundancy. Once uh, the king Ezekiah took over, he took over um, a nation really destroyed by war. Um, the priests, uh, they have to leave the, leave, leave the country, not the country, but the city. And they had to farm because the temple was closed uh, during uh, the, the, uh, the king Ahaz bankrupt. But one Ezekiah took over. People came back to God and they became stewards. Stewardship is a vital thing in any departments. This is not, uh, you know, stewardship is just not a department in a way. It is the way of life. So uh, if you want the young people to be strong, teach them stewardship. And lead by example. Not only money, time, talents, the body. You see the 40 um, talent, treasure, um, time. What is the other one? Um, four of them stewardship so in our division we emphasize on this one and the last the fifth one not the least we call it Haggai Venture Haggai Venture and this is um, on Haggai chapter Haggai chapter 1 verse 2 and 8 by the way uh, for Ezekiah, it is in the Second Chronicles, chapter 31, 31, verse 9 to 12, when it is said that, uh, yeah, um, Ezekiah, the, the treasurers of, of, uh, of the um, Israel nation, he had a problem. The problem was how we are going to spend the money. It was too, it was a lot. And uh, you see, from bankruptcy, when we have the vision, uh, yes, the visible resources were destroyed, but the invisible resources, they were still there. And Ezekiah, when he led the people to God, then the resources followed that. And that is the Ezekiah. So go back, let's go back now to the Agai venture. This is about church building, infrastructure, um, maintaining what we have. Sometimes we are very good in building, but we are rather poor in maintaining. So it is all of this. Those are the, the five, the five initiatives. And uh, uh, I can tell you that uh, the Lord is blessing this plan. It brings a lot of excitement, uh, and we cannot take the credit for this. This is from God. This is from God, and it, uh, if we apply it, it works. This is an example. The Lord will reveal to you uh, because God also would like to, 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 to talk, to talk to you through the Bible, through the spirit of prophecy, and through the voice of the Holy Spirit. Okay, in a way, that is the five initiatives. Okay, we have, ooh, we have many questions. One, two, three, and then I will hand over to Elder Gallimore. Okay, please.
Uh, we don't have this online yet, but uh, probably we should put this online sometime. But, uh -huh. I think we may have it on the Michigan Conference website. Uh, if we don't, we can put it up there and you can get it. Yes. Okay, that is the solution. The solution is right here. Um, so you may get it then from uh, Michigan Conference website because they, um, they are using it also. Um, and uh, how is it? Uh, I'll check to make sure it gets up there so they can get it. Yes. Uh, the, our, our website's very easy. It's uh, MISDA, that's Michigan SDA, MISDA.org. Okay. Next. That is your question too. And I saw a hand here. All right. Okay. For Haggai, chapter 1, verse 2 and 8. Okay. All right. Uh, I would like now to hand over to uh, Elder Gallimore to continue with a very important aspect of leadership. Very important indeed. You may forget what, what we have uh, talked so far, but this one, don't ever. All right, Elder Ratsar is going to be back up here helping me out with this. But um, this is what you do not hear very much of in the secular leadership kinds of conferences. And that's this whole issue of character. Let's talk about this for a second. The, you know this, this statement, but it's a statement we ought to remind ourselves of very often. The greatest want of the world is the want of men. We use that generically. Men who will not be bought or sold. What does that say? What does that say? If you're in a leadership position, the thing that we need today, when people think of politicians today, do they think of this statement? They, they think of something very different, don't they? They think of people who will, you know, the, where the means justify, or the end justifies the means. Yes? Uh, have you ever heard of Ravi Zacharias? He's a Christian apologist. Uh -huh. He wrote a book, and in it he contrasts Hitler's statement that's in, I think, Auschwitz, where it says the my greatest want is to create a generation of youth who are void of a conscience. Mm. And you see the contrast between those two, it's pretty powerful. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hitler was a leader. He's just a, a leader to hell rather than heaven. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you, if you look at this, men who in their inmost souls are true and honest. We're going to talk about integrity in just a little bit here. In their inmost souls. In other words, integrity is something that has to come from the inside. Uh, it's where your heart is. Uh, men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. Now, I think we must do this. We must not be afraid to call sin by its right name. But uh, you've got to remember that Jesus used a good methodology when he did that. And, uh, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to create opposition. Mark this down. If the criteria for success is popularity, if that's the criteria... It will not work in the and in the church. Jesus says, you know, you go to these seminars on leadership, and, and you know they're always saying about you know how you just get you know everybody everybody gets the applause and all that kind of stuff. Listen to what Jesus said. He says, if everybody speaks well of you, you've got a problem. 
Because if you follow Christ, everybody will not speak well of you. Um, men who do not fear to call Semites right name, men whose conscience is as true to what? Duty. In other words, even if it doesn't feel good, it's my duty to do it. And I'm going to be at it. Men who will stand for the right, though the heavens fall. They stand for the right because it is right. And it's not dependent on outside circumstances. We're created to be in the image of God. What does that mean? Every human being is created in the image of God. And notice this, is endowed with a power akin to that of the Creator. Now that is a marvelous statement. We are created in the image of God with, with God-like powers. Now I didn't say you had all of God's powers, but I said you have some God-like powers. What are the ones that are initiated here? Individuality. Aren't you glad that all of you are not just alike? You did not come out of a cookie cutter. Even if you have brothers and sisters, all of you look different. You have individuality. Power to think and do. Does God have power to think and do? Then he, when he made us in his image, he gave us the power to think, the power to do. Don't you enjoy doing that? That's why we enjoy living. That's why we don't want to die. It's because it's fun to think and it's fun to do. What happens when that power is developed? Notice education, page 17. The men in whom this power is developed are men who bear responsibilities, who are leaders and enterprise, and who influence character. In other words, they have impact far beyond who they are. Let's talk about individuality. What is individuality? Here's the dictionary. The dictionary says your individuality is the sum of qualities that characterize and distinguish a person from all others. Were all the 12 apostles, were they all different? But they also had uh, something very uh, alike, and that was they were very uh, true to a principle. But they were different and unique. My favorite disciple is John. But I also like Peter. And I really love Paul. But I don't, think I'm, I don't think I could ever fit in Paul's shoes. I mean, this man had an intellect and an ability. But John, John's a little more simple. And he loved people. I think I, think I, I can't fit in his shoes, but I think I could, that would fit me a little easier. But we need Peter's. We need Peter's that are bold, that would stand up on the day of Pentecost and look the Sanhedrin in the face and say, you crucified the Son of God. But the Lord still loves you. He'll forgive you if you repent. Don't you like that? <laughs> I like Peter. Um, so your, uh, your uniqueness, God loves variety. Like a forest, he created us an endless variety. Your talents and abilities, we're all like snowflakes. Your likes and dislikes, your personality. And the, I use these four, these are just kind of well-known. But the truth is that not all of us are all sanguine. We're not all phlegmatic. We're not all melancholy. We're not all choleric. We're actually a snowflake. Everybody is different because you're a mixture of those kinds of things. And that even changes as you, as you change over time. Some of your likes change. Let's go to the power to think. Here's a dictionary. 
Dictionary says to think, the thought, the thinking, to form or to have in mind, to have an opinion or believe, to reflect on, to ponder, to call to mind or remember, reason, to form a mental picture or image, to devise by thinking, thought up a plan to escape, for instance. Reason, a statement offered in explanation or justification, ground the cause, the power to think our intellect. A sane or sound, we might add, reasonable mind. Do exercise of faculty of logical thought. Now, I like to say this, that sin is illogical. And that's why you can never give a reason for sin. Ellen White makes that statement. She says you cannot give a reason. If you could give a reason for sin, you could excuse it. But the truth is that sin is illogical. It doesn't make sense. Why, why do we want to do something that destroys us? And, and that's where selfishness and pride lead us. You know, the, the devil, when he was Lucifer, God created him to be a great under-shepherd of the universe. Had he not fallen, someday we would have all admired him as one of God's most marvelous creatures. Instead, someday the universe will look on Lucifer and heap on him the repugnant distaste and abomination. Righteousness is logical and reasonable because it supports life. Okay, to act, to take action to conduct oneself, to behave, to perform a specified function, produce an effect. God's actions produce life. Satan's actions produce death. Our choices do the same, one or the other. Our individuality is the wrapper. Character is the feeling, the filling. Our thinking becomes our choices. Now get this, because if you're going to lead, you've got to get this clear. Our thinking becomes our choices. Our choices produce our acts. And our acts becomes our character. It is who and what we are. Our character will determine destiny. I was talking to somebody not long ago, and, um, and they, they were in a leadership position. And they looked at me and they said, am I making choices that are going to ruin my life? And I said, yeah, you are. I said, let me tell you what your problem is. I said, you have a will. And over here are your emotions and your feelings. And over here is God's law and his principles. And what you're doing is you're allowing your emotions and your feelings to control your will and your choices. Instead of allowing God's law. And I said, you're making choices that are ruining your life. Now, I admit that emotions are very powerful and many leaders run on emotion. We talk about enthusiasm, but enthusiasm ought to be under the control of reason. Does that make sense? That's why good leaders have got to have good characters. All right, Our collective character as a church will determine our impact and influence on the world. Now, this is 
You can look this up in volume eight, and, and you know, we, I, I know we don't like to talk about this, but she has a very interesting thing that she says about the Seventh-day Adventist church. I believe that what's going on in the heavenly sanctuary right now, one of the things going on right now is that God is not only weighing individuals, he's also weighing churches, and he's also weighing nations. She says that the Seventh-day Adventist, you can look it up for yourself so I don't have it on the screen. She says the Seventh-day Adventist church will be weighed in the balances of the sanctuary. And it says that she will be judged according to the opportunities and abilities that God has given her. And let me tell you, when I read that, when I read through that, I wanted to weep. Because there's no one on the face of the earth that's been given more privileges and opportunity than this church that I love and that I'm a part of. And I don't think we have to look very far around us to see that we've gone up, that we've not lived up to that. I think it's volume eight of the testimonies. But the chapter doesn't end there. And I thank God for that. What she sees is a great revival movement among the Seventh-day Adventist church and that God forgives their sins and uses them to finish his work. And she says when that revival starts, it will be actuated by the spirit of prayer. So that's the future of the church. The future of the church is not in apostasy, even though there may be apostasy around us. The future of the church is in revival and reformation. Isn't that good news? And I tell people that. I'm talking to somebody, I won't tell you who, but a person has a huge amount of influence not long ago. And we were sitting at the table and eating. And I said, the future of the church is not with all this worldliness. The future of the church is in great return to primitive godliness. That's the future. Yes. I'm sorry, what was that? 247, uh, volume 8, 247. If you've not read that, you ought to read it. It's a sobering chapter. And by the way, there's another promise I claimed. Micah chapter 7, I believe, where God promises to pass over the sins of the remnant and to cast them into the depths of the sea. And then he promises to restore truth and mercy to his people. Isn't that good news? Truth and mercy. All right, let me go on here. So our collective character is dependent on collectively following our profession. How is character obtained? You're not born with it, believe it or not. And you cannot buy it, and you cannot get it from someone else. Here's page 57. Um, 57 of what? Education? Okay, thank you. But such a character is not the result of accident. It is, due, it is not due to special favors or endowment of providence. A noble character is the result of self-discipline. What is self-discipline? What? What is self-discipline? Self-discipline is doing what you know you ought to do when you don't feel like doing it. Self-discipline means I get up to pray in the morning, even if I don't feel like praying. 
Self-discipline says, I'm going to do this because it's my duty and I know it's the right thing to do. Self-discipline moves you in the direction of your goals when the enthusiasm has waned. Self-discipline keeps you on target. By the way, don't blame the target if you don't hit it. And the sands of time are littered with good intentions. But good intentions are not worth much unless you got self-discipline. Do you have the self-discipline to get out of bed in the morning? You know, one of the biggest problems that you can face as a leader is if you don't have a self-starter. I tell Lauren Nelson and, and his team, I said, when you bring people to me, I want somebody that's a self-starter. I want somebody that's got a work ethic. I don't want somebody here that's just got to be up in their study all the time. I have somebody out there that's got some, some um, energy. By the way, Ellen White says, I like this. If you want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, these are my words. If you want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you have to have the active graces of the Holy Spirit as well as the passive. The passives are the fruit of the Spirit. Do you know what she gives as the active graces? You're talking about leader, and you've got to have this as a leader. Active graces are one, energy. Two, perseverance. It's not on the screen. Three, force. Four, courage. When do you have to use force? People wonder about that one. Because of everything else. was. I think Elder Ratsara did a nice job actually defining that this morning. When he says, once you've taken everything through a process and then you've got somebody just trying to destroy it, you just keep moving. That's force. Okay? There's a, there's a time to move. When you've done it well, you've got it in place, everything's going, then you move. It's force. You're not, being, you're not running roughshod over people. You're not being unkind to people. You're just moving. you got your foot on the gas, and there may be somebody throwing rocks at your car, and you're saying, I'm just applying the gas. I'm forcing. I'm moving. Courage. Oh, how we need that nowadays. Courage in the youth group to say, what does Jesus want done here? What does Jesus want done in this town? How many people does Jesus want us to contact in this town? How many people does he want us to save in this town? We're not going to save the whole town. We understand that. But certainly, listen, I I don't mean this. Please don't misunderstand me. I love this church. 15 million members. That's don't celebrate yet. There's 7 billion people in this world half of which have never heard the name of Christ, and they've got to hear the Adventist message before Jesus comes. That means God has big things in plan, in store for what's going to happen. Let me ask you this. Should should there be 7 billion? Shouldn't there be several hundred, hundred million people waiting for Jesus to come? Is it not time for young people to stand up and say, in this generation, we are going to finish this work? And we know we can't do it on our own, but we know we have a God who is able to come down and help us. I have this in my hand. This is where I'm start. This is my youth group. We've got this town. We've got this city. We've got this neighborhood. We're going to do something about it. We've got courage. You've got to have that. For the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
Persistence is akin to self-discipline. Persistence keeps going when the odds keep rising. When the obstacles keep mounting, persistence keeps going. One person said there's not anything omnipotent except persistence. By the way, Jesus used that. He gave you the story of the importunate widow because she became persistent. And his point was, if persistence will work with an ungodly judge, think of what it will work with the God of heaven who loves us. Persistence. Courage. Persistence. Force. Energy. Have some energy. I like phlegmatic too. I have an easy chair. I love to get back in that easy chair and read. But Jesus is not going to come if I spend too much time there. I have work to do. You've got to move. You've got to have some energy. You've got to be excited about life. Hey, listen, all of you are going to die in this room. I know that really sounds enthusiastic right now. <laughs> Jesus is coming. I hope you all see Jesus coming. You don't have to go by the way to underground. I got that from my good brother, Paul Ratsara. He says, I want to be, I, I just want to do the above ground coming part. But if I have to go to the underground, it's okay too. Am I right? Did I get that pretty close? How do you say that? Well... <laughs> now, one of my goals is to be alive when Jesus comes. Amen. Because I want a straight flight. <laughs> no stopover, <laughs> no fire underground from here to there. Amen. But anyway, the most important is to be there. Uh, God decides what is best for me. Amen. That was worth. But my point is this: <laughs> you only got so much time. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Amen. I, somebody gave me a definition of watching television. I don't know if it was a year ago or so. Somebody said, you know, when you're watching television, you're watching somebody else's life while your life fades away. People come and say, oh, I saw you on such and such. Did you? Did you? Oh, I said, no, I hadn't seen it. <laughs> I'm really kind of afraid to look at it. But <laughs> my point, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. How much time is this generation wasting on television? I didn't say you shouldn't ever look at it. I know we need to kind of get a touch base with the news or something. Or the Internet. I mean, I can... The internet is fun. You can just explore all kinds of places all over the world. That's fun. But you can sure waste a lot of time real quick with that. Get what you need. Learn how to get what you need and get out and be about your business. Be productive in your life. Have some energy. Four things. Let me give them to you again. Persistence, energy, force, and courage. If you want the outpouring of the Spirit of God. Yes. Call Porter Ministry, page 62. Thank you. Call Porter Ministry, page 62. I need to get that in here. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's go on. I'm not going to get into this. We, uh, except to say the Seventh-day Adventist Church exists to develop Christ-like character in its members. Am I right? And everybody else that we can track to Christ, we're into this business of character. And uh, character is wanting in our world today. 
and we really need it. the law of God is the foundation of character. I'm going to, I'm going to move on because I've got about 15 minutes, and I really want to the fear of the Lord. I wish I could get into that a little bit, but I don't. You know, every time that you have the fear of the Lord in the Book of Acts, the church just explodes. We're lacking the fear of God. Uh, there's a, we got to understand something. You give leadership and worship, my dear uh, young people. Worship is not about what entertains you or me. Worship is about worshiping God the way He wants to be worshipped. We, we need to get this, get this clear. Everybody thinks that church is here to take care of me. No, church worship is there. We go there, uh, as Ray Holmes said, uh, you know, and he's just in the invocation. Thank God that He's called us to His house to worship Him. And we ought to be doing it His way. And I don't think He leaves us in, a, in, a, in doubt as to what that way is. I don't want to get going there. I want to... How a leader responds to circumstances tells you a lot about his character. Character is more than talk. Crisis doesn't make character. But crises do reveal what your character is like. Adversity makes a person choose between character or compromise. You can never separate a leader's character from his actions. Talent is a gift, but character is a choice. We don't choose our parents, IQ, circumstances, or our upbringing. We don't pick our talents, but we do choose our characters. Character brings lasting success with people. Followers do not trust leaders whose character is flawed. Am I right? You know, in Jesus' life, they, weren't they constantly attacking him, constantly attacking his character? By the way, that's not fun. Is uh, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they asked me uh, some, something about if I had been called such and such. I said, yeah, I've been called about everything there is to be called, I think. Just because somebody calls you something doesn't mean that that's what you are. You need to know what you are and what your heart is. Now, that doesn't mean you can't make mistakes. You will make mistakes. Um, and I've certainly made my share of them. But character is, is where you want to be. If you make a mistake, then try to fix it. Am I right? Make a, if you make a mistake, so I think we made a mistake. Let's see if we can fix it. Sometimes you can't fix it. Um, number four, leaders cannot arise above the limitations of their characters. Uh, this is very interesting. Highly talented people will often fall apart at the height of their success. Why? Can you think of people that have done that? People who just have a lot of success. People really look up to them. Everything is going great. And all of a sudden they just fall apart. Why? Because there was a lack of bedrock to sustain them. Steve Berglis, a psychologist at Harvard, wrote the book entitled The Success Syndrome and notes that such people are headed for four disasters. People who do not have character, they're headed for arrogance like Pharaoh. Where did Pharaoh end up with his arrogance? Can you think of any... You, you, you talk about the stupidity of arrogance. You've got ten plagues that have devastated Egypt. He shows up behind the Israelites. The Red Sea opens and he's stupid enough to take his whole army in there. I mean, that is El Stupo if I've ever seen anything. Arrogance will make you do dumb, stupid stuff. Humility will keep your 
from from end of those games. Uh, Here's another one. Painful feelings of aloneness. Sometimes people come to me and they say, you know, it's, I know it's, 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 um, what do they say? Um, Oh, it's lonely at the top. I hope by God's grace, I am not alone. Just because you're the leader doesn't mean that you should be alone. Elder at Sorrow reminds us that we are not alone. We have a Savior. We have angels who will behold the face of God. And we have people who love us and encourage us. We do not have to be alone. We need one another. Do we not? And besides, I believe in sharing leadership. I don't, I don't want to be the center of attention. Sometimes I, I live in a glass bowl, and I have to live in a glass bowl. But I don't have to live there any more than I need to. You understand what I'm saying? Share it. Get some other people involved. And let other people know that you appreciate the contribution they make. When people make a contribution that really helps what's going on, say, you know, that idea came from Elder Paul Ritzar. I really appreciate that idea. That was a great idea. And that's why we're doing this today. Because God put that in his heart. By the way, always give the glory to God. Give the glory to God. Elder Wright Sarah may have come up with the idea, but really all good stuff all comes from God. Am I right? So you praise God for what he did in Elder Wright Sarah's life. That's why we ought to do that. And then we don't... Uh, here's another. Destructive, seeking, uh, destructive adventure seeking. And they use King Solomon as, a, as a, a picture of that. And I could give you some modern examples except for... The time adultery. King David got that, got himself into, into that kind of thing. All right, listen. If you notice these character flaws in yourself as a leader, do something about it. Don't just wait around. Character flaws only get worse with time unless they are addressed. And by the way, the best way to start addressing it is when you have stuff in your emotions or in your feelings or your thinking, I wish I had more time to talk about that, that come up that you know that are not right. You go to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't choose those feelings. Those feelings, those thoughts are not going to guide my actions. If, if you've got bitter feelings or angry feelings and those kinds of things, you keep wrestling with God. And I want to tell you, I can tell you from personal experience that God eventually, if you fight it long enough in prayer and you persist long enough, God will take it away. And you wake up free from those feelings because you don't choose them. So when you're confronted with wrong feelings that you know you, they don't belong there. You simply say, Lord, I'll choose that. When thoughts come across your head that don't belong there, you say, Lord, I'll choose those thoughts. And I want them. And the God of heaven, that's why you change character. That's why you're in most soul. Okay, we've got to go here. I want to get down to integrity for just a moment. And I'm going to move to that. Um, integrity is something that you cannot live without as a leader. If you don't have integrity in your inmost soul, you're going to be in trouble. Uh, and you're going to be in, the, in trouble really quick. Adherence to a code of values, incorruptibility, soundness, and completeness. Do not think that religious leaders are not tempted with being corrupted. There's nothing more sick than having religious leaders who are corrupted. 
we know the, the text. Let me go down here. There are many paths. This hangs on my wall. This statement hangs on my wall in my office. There are many paths in life on which you can travel. However, integrity is the only path on which you will not get lost. Why is honesty so important? If you're dishonest with, with or about yourself, you're going to make self-destructive decisions. Did you know there are some people that get to the place to actually believe their lies? Actually believe their own lies. Because they don't want the truth. Hey, just give me the truth. I can deal with the truth. But I don't want the lies. It is the only way to build trust between people. Let me ask you a question. Can you have a marriage in which there is no integrity? What will happen to any relationship in which there's no trust? You cannot keep a relationship in which there is no trust. And you cannot maintain leadership without trust. And you build that over time when people know what you are and what you're endeavoring to do. It's the only foundation of any civilization. And by the way, uh, the more civilization uh, loses integrity, pretty soon you'll lose the entire civilization. And that's true for an organization. And there are some things that worry me. I know you want me to tell you what they are, but I'm not. But at the root of it is integrity. Let me tell you this, that when we, we get so caught up that we just want numbers more than anything else, then that begins to undermine integrity. I love numbers, but I want the quality to go with it. I want quality. Now, that doesn't mean when they're baptized, they have to be ready. You know, they don't have to be ready for translation, so to speak. But they need to know that they've been converted, that they love the Lord Jesus and they love this message. That needs to happen. They may not be vegetarian yet, but they need to love the Lord and have a change of heart. And they need to know why they're being baptized. This love of display, we've got to be really careful with it. It's... Uh, it's the, um, the only thing that will prevent chaos in any organization. You want to get, you, you get, you get leaders that lack integrity, you'll get chaos every time and difficulty because they, they tell one set of lies to cover another set of lies and just back and forth. Here are key questions. Lord, what is the truth? Lord, open my eyes to the truth. What is the truth as it is in Jesus? Seventh-day Adventists are seekers of truth. Well, there are... Um, I'm just going down here because of the sake of time. Uh, let me go down to the last part of this. We must recognize that such leadership is impossible without a close and decided connection with the Lord. We're not able to discern truth. We were born corrupted. And the only way our new nature will love truth is to be converted. Do I love the truth as it is in Jesus? I think it's time to have prayer. Elder Rissar, would you pray for us? Let's pray. Our Lord, our Father, we thank you so much for the time that we have spent together to reflect on this very important subject, which is leadership. Thank you, Lord, because you are our leader and we are just followers. 
And we know, we are fully aware that we have our limitations, our shortcomings. But still, you want to use us. We cannot thank you enough. But now, would like you to give us first your Holy Spirit. Lead us so that we can lead your people. That our leadership will not be a curse for your church, but rather a blessing. Because our deepest desire is to hasten your coming so that we can spend eternity with you. Until then, Father, help us to be faithful. Help us to be useful in your hands. Be with every one of us here. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation, or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. You can also find great witnessing media at www.audioverse.org and at www.hopevideo.com.